Imagine a village near a capital city of a European country. In several weeks, this village has been totally destroyed by the Russian troops. In its outskirts, you can barely find a house out of hundreds, which is not either totally destroyed or severely damaged. Five months after this happened, these houses are still in ruins. This village is called Moshun, it is near Kyiv. We have visited it, talked to its inhabitants, and here are our stories. Hello and welcome to the podcast Explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Vladimir Yermolenko, I am chief editor of ukraineworld.org. My co-host is Tetyana Oharkova, in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest and biggest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We spend the majority of your support to help people affected by this war. So we visited this village, Moschun. Let's tell our listeners this story. Well, let's start maybe with the overall impression of this Moschun. We visited many places around Kiev, Bucha, Irpin, Borodyanka, but maybe... We will not be mistaken if we, if we say that Mashun is the most destructed uh, village near Kiev. This is the exact place where Russian troops were stopped uh, when they tried to reach Kiev. And it was also a place of an intense battlefield during uh, several weeks in March. Uh, Russian troops were trying to access to, to get access to Kiev. They were stopped by Ukrainian troops, by Ukrainian army but uh, at the same time by um, territorial defense. And uh, um, the village of Mashun was taken by Russians, but then it was liberated by Ukrainians several times. So uh, unfortunately, when you walk now in this village, what you see, uh, you see only ruins. You see uh, the maybe 90% of houses are destroyed. And uh, we visited this village five months after the, after the events. And unfortunately, we have to say that there is nothing done about these ruins. People are waiting for special commissions for, for, from Ukrainian state to fix the damage and then maybe to, 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 to restart the buildings of these uh, houses. Unfortunately, there we cannot say about Mashun as we say about even about Borodyanka or Bucha or Irpin. We cannot say that the life is still going on there because there is almost almost no people. Some people are back. Most of them, they have no other place to stay. They live in, in ruins. They live in, for example, in one room of a completely destroyed building. Um, and there is an urgency, there is an urgency to, 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 to rebuild this village. Let's locate it geographically. So Moshun is uh, near, uh, near a city of Hostomel. And those who have followed the events in February and March surely know the city of Hostomel because there, there is an airport, a military airport, Antonov Airport, through which uh, Russians try to uh, send their troops and uh, um, uh, organize it, use it as a plant's arm to attack Kyiv. So Hostomel, Bucha, Irpin, this is a triumvirate, triangle of towns, uh, and but also near these towns there are villages. Uh, we visited Horenka, there are also lots of destruction there. Visited Moshun, which is like five kilometers from Horenka. It is very close to Kyiv. So uh, 
when we talk about the destruction, let us also pres- uh, specify that the most destroyed uh, segment of Moshun is in, on outskirts of the the village itself, and and this is a a district of so-called dachas where people were building mostly many people there uh, have the apartments in cities like in Kyiv and there during Soviet times they were building uh, a houses in in a village house right we very often with their own hands Uh, we we know this story because our parents your parents uh, have this touch and we we know that usually it takes like decades when when a person uh, Brick after brick constructs the stacha, then it destroyed in a matter of maybe several seconds, several several minutes. Uh, but it is also true that because of such villages where there were heavy fights, Kyiv, the Ukrainian capital, was really saved uh, from the from the Russian invasion. Uh, these ruins are also testifying that about the heroism of Ukrainian defenders, the territorial defense, Ukrainian army, but also testifies how close we were actually from Russian um, entering Kyiv with big forces. Yeah, and let's also situate that geographically, saying that there is no clear border between Kyiv and then Pusha Vodice, it's an outskirt of Kyiv, and then without any border you enter Gorinka, and then almost without border you have like five kilometers from Gorinka, another village to Mashchun, and then Mashchun Dachi, the mostly destructed part of uh, Mashchun. So there is no clear distance, in fact. So it, it feels when you when you come from Kyiv and you arrive to Mashchun, you have an impression that you haven't left Kiev, in fact. So it's, it's, it's extremely close. So in a way, you see this uh, massive destruction as if it was inside Kiev. And um, what we know from uh, from from news, from uh, media, in, in, in the end of February, in the beginning of March, there were a lot of helicopters coming to Hostomil, and people in Moshin were extremely afraid of these helicopters. There were dozens of them, dozens of helicopters coming there. Uh, a lot of fighting during the first day already of this war, but um, a lot of people were still staying in Moshin, hoping that uh, they will be, uh, in a way, uh, quite far from the f- battlefield, they they thought that maybe Gostomir will be the uh, objective, and they they are a couple of kilometers to the east. They will not be touched. But when Russians were uh, dismantled uh, in in Hostomil, because we know that uh, there were this operation, this Russian operation was had no success. Uh, Russian troops tried to enter, uh, taking an, uh, Kiev, taking another road, this one which was going through Mashun, and this is why they crossed the river Irpin, because let's uh, explain that uh, there is a river Irpin, like like a town Irpin, which is close also to Mashun. They crossed, so Russian troops, they crossed the river and they arrived to Mashun, which was already defended by uh, territorial defense, but it was uh, pretty qui- pretty weak for Russian troops. They they had, had to come back to Gorinka and to, to Pushchevodica. And then Russians um, occupied these outskirts of Moshun for several weeks, for a couple of weeks. And most of population of, of Moshun uh, Dachi and Moshun village, they uh, they succeeded to flee the village, but some of them stayed in the occupation, and a lot of them 
specifically elderly people they were uh, they were they were not killed by russians because they, there was we we've had no similar stories to bucha but they were killed by shellings or by i don't know heart attacks and all these kind of um all these kind of uh, events and when mushun was liberated there were unfortunately uh, many uh, civil bodies uh, discovered by Ukrainian army, namely in the undergrounds where people were staying, for example, old people were staying, they were so afraid of this massive shelling that they just lost their lives during these shellings, even if they were not directly killed by, by Russians. This story took place in March. Uh, for two or three weeks, uh, Mashun was liberated together with Bucha and Derpini at approximately the same time when the Russian troops de decided to go away. And what was discovered in place in Mashun at the moment where Russians left, um, Ukrainian army found a lot of Russian uniforms, military uniforms. It means that Russian soldiers were putting off their uh, uniforms and they were taking, uh, putting on civil clothes in order to flee and to hide themselves somewhere in the forest. That is also explained that Mushun is surrounded by, by forests, so they were trying to escape in panic. And um, that's it. Yeah, and uh, we, we still hear many stories from different regions. After one month of, of the battles, uh, suddenly the locals discover Russian soldiers alive and who are hiding in forests. Some Buryats. Uh, yes, and uh, maybe these ones also were hiding somewhere. Maybe they are still in Ukraine. Maybe they they try to escape within, in a civilian clothes and go go back to Belarus. Uh, actually, this this attack was from Belarus, right? Mostly yeah. from yeah. Belarus. In, maybe important detail: uh, what what people told us in Mashun is the attitude of Russian soldiers towards their own people. When Mashun was liberated, and we were lucky enough to talk to a witness, I mean, a guy who was in a territorial defense during the mm, during March, and he told us, and when Ukrainians entered Mashun, they found approximately fifty dead bodies of Russian soldiers and they didn't care for their dead so they were not buried they were not uh, just they were in their places and even more there was one house in Moshun where Russians organized a kind of a hospital for wounded and in this so-called hospital a Ukrainian army found a couple of bodies of wounded which were quite uh, explicitly killed at the very last moment where Russians decided to retreat. So they killed their own wounded in order not to leave them there. They were incapable to, to take them away. So uh, it is a story of uh, extreme cruelty of Russian army, not only uh, against Ukrainians, which is clear uh, for us, but also against for, towards its, their own soldiers. Yeah, this is, um, well, cruelty or, or indifference, maybe, right? So you have your wounded soldiers, you, uh, you need to retreat as, 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 as far as possible, and, uh, and, you and you kill them. Okay, but you can just leave them for Ukrainian army. Ukrainian army would, would take care of them. There is an attitude uh, that, are, of course, different, different things are happening on the, on, the pla on, the, on the battlefield. But there is an instruction, of course, of, uh, of very decent behavior with regard to Russian prisoners of war, not only for humanity reasons, but also for practical reasons, because U Ukrainians need to exchange them for Ukrainian prisoners of war.
and we see that Russians don't care about this, so they they really kill uh, they, they really kill uh, their own prisoners, uh, their own soldiers, not to let them become uh, prisoners of war. And as we told uh, our listeners in in our previous podcast, uh, they also killed Ukrainian prisoners of war in Olenivka. So they they don't care about these exchanges or whatever. Uh, let's also talk about um, about. By the way. Uh, of course, we understand that this is an audio podcast and we describe you these uh, horrible scenes of destroyed houses. But we film them, we, we, we have uh, made lots of videos. You can check them on uh, Ukraine World Twitter. Uh, you can also check them on um, uh, the, the French version of the Twitter of the Ukraine Crisis Media Center. And I actually think, I'm actually thinking of making kind of a video uh, for YouTube, so you can you can maybe a little bit later check out uh, our YouTube channel of Ukraine World and see see those uh, destroyed uh, destroyed houses. But still, you can see a lot of on our on our Twitter already. So the problem is right now. You mentioned these people from territorial defense. These are volunteers from the uh, from the foundation which called uh, which is called Spadok, which means heritage, and. Uh, you know, we we are traveling across Ukraine and, and trying to understand and trying to ask people what you need in terms of humanitarian aid and collect it. Uh, to some villages we bring food, to other villages they are asking us for clothes. But it seems that it is it what what is increasingly needed is, is especially in villages like Horenko or Moshun, this is reconstruction. And a reconstruction is of course much more expensive process. And for example, this particular uh, foundation we will send. Uh, you can you can find a link in the, in the description to this podcast. They uh, they decided to collect bit by bit money for for reconstruction. They have already uh, helped reconstruct some some of the uh, private buildings. One garage, which which helps also to repair cars, including for Ukrainian military. But of course, it's it is work for for years and years. Yeah, for years, and um, there is different categories of people living in Moshchun. For in Moshun itself, in the village, people were living like in any other village. So this is was a kind of primary house for them, and uh, some of them were able to to flee the country, or maybe to flee to some other western parts of the country, or maybe to their relatives, to their family. But some of them. Um, we were very much impressed talking to several people who are still inside the village. Uh, it looks like uh, you see completely destroyed uh, house, which is situated on the front line. You see even the Russian tank close to that, and you see the position, this is the last house of the village, so Ru Ukrainian positions from the very beginning were there, and it was a kind of a Russian artillery maybe coming to this house. It is completely destroyed. And then you see a man, and you ask him, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm living here. So he lives in the kind of, a, and when, when we ask, where do you live exactly? This is all in ruins. He explained that there is one room inside the house, which is he managed to repair in a way to be able to live there in summer. So you don't need heating. There is no water. Let us also explain that in Moshun Dachas, there is no electricity because everything was destroyed. And now they have to repair the lines, but it costs a lot of money. And unfortunately, 
given that most of people left at that very moment, they will not be able to pay for that, for electricity. And uh, other people who are still in the village, they are unable to, to pay the whole sum. So this is something to be, to be done. And there is no gas in most of uh, houses because they had this gas line. But when the house is destroyed, it, it's logical that the gas line is also destroyed. So this man, for example, he's living in a kind of a small, small room inside a huge ruin of his house. He's cooking outside. He having, he's having a kind of a kind of a gas balloon and he's using that to cook. Uh, it, he gets water from his neighbors. He, he walks to get some water. And uh, he's able to live there during the summer, but when winter comes, it will come soon because we are in August. So a couple of months, it will be it will be getting colder. He will need to 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 invent something, uh, how to live. But hopefully, this man you're talking about, he he, he has, has an apartment in Kiev. Unfortunately, we talked to another woman who doesn't have an apartment and. Uh, She was actually she was crying when she was talking to us. An elderly woman, I think, some somewhere between seventy and sixty years old. She also has a husband, also a a gray old man, gray hair old man, and he was he suffered from one of the shelling. So he he became, as far as I understood, half deaf uh, after this, and uh, their house is completely destroyed. So they are living in the house of their neighbors who left for Germany. Uh, so this is also another 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 story that our listeners have to understand. Maybe that if if you meet a, a refugee from Ukraine, uh, it it is quite probable that if their apartment or house has not been destroyed, uh, other people, their friends, their relatives, refugees. Uh, displaced per, uh, people from the east or south might be living there. So while you are helping, like Germans, British, Poles, uh, Czechs, Hungarians, I don't know, French. Uh, Italians, Spanish, when you are helping some Ukrainian refugees, quite probably that these refugees by their, their, their real estate are help, helping people who are staying here. But uh, this woman was absolutely desperate because uh, because she does not have an apartment. And uh, the house in which she's living of her neighbors is also damaged. It's it's not just intact house. It, in, it's in, in the same place. It's also damaged by shelling, but she's still capable of living there. And she has no idea whether... She doesn't have money to rebuild her house. She doesn't have kids to go. She doesn't have kids, children to... Uh, well, the, her husband has children from the previous wife who died, uh, I think, 12 years ago. and uh, But they're living in a two-room uh, apartment. Uh, and uh, they're... There are many people, I think she, she, she told us about maybe 10 people or something that were living for, for a short period of time in these two-room apartments and she decided to, to, came back to, this, to come back to these ruins. So imag imagine a kind of a outskirts of a village in which you have probably several hundreds of houses. None of these houses is actually intact, none, literally none. And uh, we, we came across uh, these... These houses, 
maybe there are several hundreds here, right? I think, and uh, we have met maybe four or five people, right? Uh, uh, but but still, maybe some of the house was already being uh, rebuilt, uh, so uh, the people are, are are doing something with the roof. But this is a very rare, actually, vision because I think that it was the only house in which there, there were some reconstruction going on. And um, another man we have met, let's let's tell uh, tell his story, that his house is almost intact. There was some some, some minor some mi minor damages, but near his house he had a garage, and in that garage he had um, <clears throat> underground. And in this underground, as all Ukrainians who have these village houses, uh, because there is there is wet and the temperature through through the summer is not not high, so he was keeping his food like uh, the some 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 uh, vegetables, vegetables, some potatoes, uh, potatoes. yes, that. Um, and uh, uh, when the war has started, when the war has started, uh, this war, the second Russian-Ukrainian war, has started on twenty twenty fourth of February, he brought his children and the grandchildren to the village. And this is also a typical behavior and a typical mistake the Ukrainians will have been making. They were fleeing from Kyiv to, uh, to the countryside without understanding that this countryside might be the real battlefield. So uh, they were hiding in, in sometimes in the underground, uh, but then there was a huge attack by Uragan or by... Uh, by uh, Grad, we don't know, and the garage was completely destroyed up uh, up until the this uh, this bunker, this the underground basement, yeah, and the basement, and hopefully everybody was in the house, not in the underground. So you can you can think about your safety, go to the underground, and then become a victim. You know, yeah, you never know how to, to how to be safe actually. Yeah, that's it. That's it. But what what is also impressive is that uh, another story uh, we were filming a completely destroyed house. When you can see even the objects, they stayed in in their place. When uh, the house was destructed, you see a st stove, you see a table, you see some chairs, but there is no walls and no roof, and uh, everything was in fire and this kind of mess and it impresses you you know and there are lo lo lots of houses <laughs> in which walls did not survive but there is a stove, stove the, the, the yeah, furnace the furnace in, inside and yeah. why because the ukrainian stoves in in bricks they are they're made with the, uh, very thick walls yeah and then uh we see when so we are filming that for our videos and we see a young woman approaching approaching that place with two kids and uh, she enters that place so we start to talk and she explains us that they are the owner of this house of these two houses a family so sister and brother they were owners of these two damaged houses in existing houses and now she came to take care of her cucumbers because there were vegetables planted they planted vegetables around their ruins and now they're taking care of these cucumbers and some other vegetables and they're living somewhere far in the in Moshun maybe there is another house of their family and she explained us and so our question was why uh why it's still in the same the same um, 
situation as in March, why don't you start doing something about that? And the explanation was that, first of all, but people don't have money. This is extremely expensive for any kind of Ukrainian family to reconstruct a house because these houses were constructed from during many generations. But first of all, you have to to clean everything. So it means that you have to deconstruct all these ruins first and then you have to restart the building. But to do that, you have to wait to, to, to have at least a kind of a hope for, for the help, for assistance from the state, you have to wait for an official commission which will fix the damages to your house. And it takes time because there are not a lot of people and they have to, to fix everything. And then maybe just just to, to be in a database. And later, we don't know exactly, maybe it's a question of years, uh, when you reconstruct, you maybe have right to have some money, some financial aid from the state. So people are taking care of their ruins to be for them to be in the same state as they were in March. And they're taking care of their vegetables, of, the, of their flowers also, around these ruins. And when you see that, it's a kind of surrealistic uh, picture. Surrealistic, but also very humane, very touching, because people are coming to these ruins to take care of the vegetables, to ca- take care of the land. We have seen a similar story in... Uh, in uh, Makariv, when there was a completely destroyed house of a piano teacher, and y- you can see the burnt remains, the skeleton of this piano, which was in the house. And there are beautiful flowers around it. And as we were told, this woman is coming here to take care of, of, the, of the flowers. Uh, we have seen it also in other villages when uh, people are just taking care of the land. Uh, y- you mentioned this need to dismantle the ruins and uh, we've talked to this man, the story we, we've just told you, with a destroyed garage, for you to understand the, 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 the strength of the explosions. Imagine a huge, massive uh, uh, doors, of, uh, doors of this garage in, in steel, very thick metal iron iron doors and they were just thrown by the explosion wave for a couple of meters to the night another another side of the road uh, and he is now dismantling the ruins and he's very careful we also filmed it so he classified the um, bricks the bricks on i think four categories there is a category of the bricks which are not damaged which can be still reused there is a category of bricks which is i think just split in half or or, or by thirds that you can uh, maybe use in in this or this way and there is a category of of bricks which which is completely just just a little little very small fragments he takes these fragments and he goes to the road which is not a paved road which is a road in uh, like in in earth uh, the land road, and you can imagine when when the rain comes down, it becomes very wet and very dirty. So he just leaves. Uh, she, he just puts these fragments on the on the of the bricks on the road to to kind of make it useful. So they are trying to make the fragments, the ruins, useful for themselves and for that for other people. Yeah, and let's explain also that that man was. Some something like eight years old, maybe seventy-five years old, quite an old guy, 
and he was doing that methodically for for many weeks uh, already we imagine because it took a lot of time maybe it looks like it took a lot of time for him to to but there were volunteers there were that. volunteers who came uh, he came and helped this is also another story yeah. that many volunteers are coming yeah. and helping yeah and let's let's uh, let's uh, emphasize this thing about reconstruction that this we, we met their foundation and volunteers from this uh, spadok uh, heritage foundation what they are trying to do Exactly. So now they are trying to take care of people who will, who really need to live in Mashun because they have no other place to go, and what they are uh, collecting money uh, only for 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 materials. I mean, only for bricks, and they are organizing things in place just to reconstruct quickly now, and they have already uh, they they already reconstructed one garage. And they started to uh, reconstruction of two houses. So they take a family. They uh, they are sure that these people really need this house to be reconstructed, and they uh, try to organize the, the most uh, economical, the, the most quick way to to build something before winter arrives. So and what they need, these people, they need uh, donations now. The, the nations are not it's not expensive in fact so what they do it's not temporary houses what is important for them they opted not to construct temporary temporary houses like wagons you know from metal so you can use that for one year and that's all they're trying to start to build one room for example i don't know 40 square meters on the ground to to let people in and then people can continue all by themselves maybe next summer during starting from the next spring but the idea is to build something for people who are who want to stay in Mushchun, who don't want to go away for winter and so in a way to keep people in place i think we really have to think about some creative ways to solve this uh, uh, this housing problem one of the ways is, of course, as, as this foundation uh, Spadok is doing, is just collecting donations from private persons. And as far as I, we, we understand, like to, to, to build this little, little, little place, uh, material is needed for several, several thousand dollars. No, this is not, not much. So uh, you can see the, the link to the website of this uh, of this charity in the description of this podcast. Uh, but I think that we should be thinking about some other ways. For example, some twinning programs with some towns or villages in Europe or United States or Australia. Imagine a municipality of of, of a rich town somewhere which has a budget. I mean. One million dollars. Well, it's not not big, for example, but one million dollars will help to rebuild, I think, several dozens at least uh, houses in in such uh, such towns. Yeah, I think several dozens. Why not yeah. uh, houses in in such such villages as Mushun? And what is extremely sad about Mushun is the same as Bucha and Irpin. It is really beautiful place, you know, beautiful place close to Kiev, and people were enjoying life there. It's quite clear. You see a beautiful nature, forest, river, uh, a lot of um, flowers, and uh, a lot of happy people. We can imagine that before the war, 
And uh, when you see all these ruins and you can imagine the despair of people who lost all their lives, all, the, all, all they had, in fact, in there, it's just extremely uh, sad. And this place, you cannot just uh, move away. You, just not, you cannot just uh, say, I will move somewhere, I will not be back, because uh, it will be a pity if this place stays like a ruin. They need to this reconstruction. They need this revival of the place. It is very beautiful. It has the potential. And um, we do hope that this will, will be possible in the future. Another solution might be that there is a, a big number of multi-story buildings constructed or under construction before the 24th of February. And uh, they, they are not finished. People are not living there. We don't know whether the apartments has been bought, has been poured, purchased. So maybe these constructors need some investment to finalize these buildings and these apartments just to be redistributed among the people who lost, lost their homes. So I think we, we should really, everybody uh, should really think about this. And there is a lot of, lot of this humanitarian work, reconstruction work that should be done. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of Ukraine World. My co-host is Tetyana Harkova, uh, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest and biggest Ukrainian media NGOs. Uh, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We're spending the majority of your support to help people affected by this war. And by the way, we are, we are thinking of also investing part of some of your donations to, to these reconstruction uh, projects as well, of course. This is not a big sums, so the people, people need much more money, but uh, this might be one of, uh, one of our targets for the future. Follow our podcasts uh, on uh, wherever you, 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 you listen to our podcast. Don't forget to like them, to tell about this podcast for to other people to advise them to your friends to your colleagues follow us on twitter facebook instagram youtube uh, some other also networks listen to our podcast on google uh, podcast apple podcast youtube soundcloud stay with us and stand with ukraine